Kia ora, you're listening to Aotearoa in Focus, called Dan Armstrong Toko Ingoa. So there I was, on an e-scooter, scooting home from work back in April. Slowed down to cross the railway, and as soon as I'd crossed it, I went into a pole and ended up on the side of Aotea Key at 6.30 in the morning with a smashed foot, a heap of bruises, and a concussion. Now, that last bit has been the biggie, I've found out, as while the rest of me is slowly healed, the brain injury has caused some interesting challenges. It hasn't been that easy or fun. So to understand the subject further, I had a korero with Ian Watkins from Brain Injury New Zealand. We'll start with what BINZ does and what happens to people in these situations, and then start zooming out and see where things are or aren't working. So, let's crack into it. This is Aotearoa in Focus, and this is Brain Injuries with Ian Watson. Yeah, Brain Injury New Zealand is the sort of um, umbrella organisation. We have 14 associations uh, underneath our umbrella. Each association is an independent body within itself um, with representation at Brain Injury New Zealand. So as a complete organisation, we provide... um, support for people who have had both acquired and traumatic brain injuries. In the early days uh, after the accident, I, well, I, I don't fully remember it, but I do remember my world getting very, very small, struggling to communicate, struggling to move. But again, that was because of, you know, my feet were all busted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, organizing groceries um you know yeah having to feed myself having to get myself home from the hospital and to you know follow up appointments a few days later um what are the key uh challenges and supports that your uh, organization is providing oh the first big thing is knowing you're there um quite often we don't know that someone has been discharged home they haven't been given information from where they've been discharged from for any follow-up or stuff like that. And it's not until um, things fall apart in their world that uh, contact is made with us and finally we you, you come onto our radar. So first of all, it's knowing that, that you're actually there um, to come onto our radar is the first challenge. The next challenge we have is one of the things that is really weird about a brain injury is that our knowledge of knowing that something's gone wrong in our brain it can get damaged when we have a brain mm. injury. And so you have this, uh, it's not denial. The person just doesn't actually know that things are going wrong, even though their family's falling apart around them. Mm. And um, so it's, it's trying to work slowly with the person to increase their awareness. It's more of a lack of awareness. Um, because it's hard to get someone to engage if they don't think anything's wrong. Mm. So that's a that's another uh, barrier that we work with, is slowly through education, helping the family and supporting them so that, that, that the family doesn't fall apart. And sometimes if there's been a, a bit of time between the person having their injury and being discharged and then coming to the attention of an organisation like ours, by then the family's fallen to pieces. Mm. Um, 
And so that's another one is rebuilding, helping to rebuild the family. Uh, and then the other one is um, it, just solid education with the person so that they start gaining uh, an awareness and then an understanding of what's going on. Really, that removes a lot of fear for people, especially if, uh, if they understand that a lot of things that are going on, wrong for them are very common and get better. While you and I get the head injury, the brain injury, there are families around us that must be uh, afraid um, and don't know how to react. And if there's behavioral change, uh, obviously it can have a big impact. Can you tell us what families um, can experience and yeah, how how can they uh, get support from you? Um, The things that the families look at you know at a, at a very basic level it's just understanding what's going on it's very confusing for them um, and, and, you know when someone's memory has been affected or someone can't concentrate anymore or can't even make a decision or whether they want a cup of tea or a cup of coffee can't make a decision to save themselves um, those big higher functioning things can affect the family and that they get very frustrated with the person not realising that the person has no control over it and can't do anything about it. The other thing is that lack of awareness can be very frustrating for a family. They can all see what's going wrong and it gets very frustrating for them and uh, that the person, that they, they, you know, the family member, doesn't think anything's wrong with them. Uh, one of the other uh, effects of a brain injury is aggression. And uh, a normal, quiet, placid person after a brain injury can become aggressive uh, and also lose inhibition. So may become physically abusive or verbally abusive um, as a result of it. Again, unfortunately, out of their control. Parts of the brain that control those things normally just aren't working the way they, they should be working. Another thing, but this has to do with family that we see that really is what makes families fall apart or breaks up a relationship. You get a uh, wife of someone that sustained a brain injury and quite a major one. So in a way they become, say it's the husband, the wife becomes not the wife anymore. She has to be the nurse and she becomes the nurse at home. Then as the the partner or husband improves and returns to normal, the wife can't. It's very hard for her to disengage from that nurse role and go back to the wife role. I mean, we come in early and if we see that occurring, we step in and we say, back up on that, be the wife. Just stay the wife or stay the mother or, you know, stay whoever you were in the relationship beforehand. Don't take on the medical nursing role for this person because it will change your relationship and you won't be able to go back to the old relationship if you do that. Um, Often with young people who have left home um, uh, and sustain an injury, uh, they need to return home again to get the level of care that they need. Um, It's very hard for the parents to disengage a second time when they get better. And that can change the relationship between the, the parent and the, the child. Um, that. So we advocate that um, where possible, stay in your family role. Keep that relationship going because when the brain injured person gets better, 
you need to still be there as the wife, the mother, the brother, the sister, and keep that. And if you've had a sort of taken over a new role in the relationship, it's very hard to disengage from that new role and the relationships tend to break down. How common or frequent uh, brain injuries in New Zealand? Uh, what are the key causes for them? Uh, the key cause, well, the, the number one is falls. It's the biggest one. And then that's followed by um, mechanical force injuries, oh, yeah. which is a lovely word. Uh, that means um, where you've banged your head or there's been a blow to the head somehow, not associated with a fall. Oh, so what um, I did. Not getting your head out of the way in time, really. Yeah, 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 that's uh, me, yeah. That's followed by car accidents. And um, number four on the list, which is quite high, is assaults. So 17% of people that uh, get a traumatic brain injury uh, from assaults. Then you've got your acquired brain injury, which is more the, the strokes, aneurysms, things like that. Um, there's different organisations that come in and deal with those people, but sometimes we pick up some of the uh, little odd ones um, that don't fall into those organisations. Uh, and I thought I read that the ACC uh, gets about 20,000 head injury claims a year. Uh, is that correct or is that just the tip of the iceberg? That's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the research was done about two years ago that estimated that there's 95 brain injuries a day in New Zealand. And that's registered brain injuries that either turn up at hospitals or a medical centre. That's not counting those that have brain injuries um, and don't know that they have, uh, which is a, a bit of a catch. Um, so there's 95 a day. More people die of brain injury a year than die of cancer. And when you say that, what are the specific causes of the brain injury that are, are causing those early fatalities? Um, early fatalities, um, usually uh, it's the car accidents. Yeah. Uh, they're a little bit more vicious. Some of the falls um, would account for quite a large amount of those people because secondary to uh, the brain injury is you get bleeds happening and stuff like that that, that will be fatal. Uh, in those situations. And are there any fluctuations in care around the country? I went into, uh, what is it, Wellington Hospital, not to disparage anyone, but yeah. I, I went into Wellington Hospital in early April. The foot was smashed up, um, but I also was struggling to communicate um, with any sort of, you know, I, I, I sounded like I was on a, you know, a completely other world. It was great. Um, yeah, it, it took a while for me to be able to understand what was happening to me. Um, I didn't receive a CT scan um, or anything like that. Um, and the only thing I was told um, about the noggin was to um, keep an eye on myself for the next 48 hours. To, to me, that feels a bit lackluster for support. If I go somewhere else in the country, am I going to get a different experience uh, if I have a head injury? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it all comes down to, like, um, I worked at uh, the Northland DHB, and um, they were very good at following up brain injury. They had a team, a community rehab team, 
um, who had a, a champion on it, who was very much um, in the area of following up on brain injury. And she would go down every day and get the list of discharges from A&E, or if she heard that there was someone in A&E down there with it, she would head off down there and give them sort of education, follow up, and then register them with the um, team at doing the rehab so that then they can be followed up. We, we followed up to a little point because if they were ACC, ACC then took over then. But certainly um, with brain injury, it really depends on each DHB's provision is different, whether uh, the area that you're in has a concussion service. Not all areas have concussion service. And also um, brain injury is not very well understood, even by doctors uh, sometimes. And so that, that will give you a different level of care. Then the real disparity is between an accidental brain injury and an acquired brain injury. And it always has been a real problem in that if you have a brain injury as a result of the accident, the world's your oyster. ACC's there, everything is there for you. It's wonderful. But if you I'm, have- I'm acquired, glad the world is my oyster right now. Right. If you <laughs> have an acquired brain injury so that you come under health, you get nothing. Yeah. There's no funding for any support whatsoever. Why? It's, um, it's been that way. Um, back in the day, Ruth Dyson was a keen advocate to try and get um, me, um, health support to equal that of ACC, but basically she was bringing her head against the brick wall. Uh, I suppose the good thing of her doing that would be that she'd be covered by ACC in that case. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, she would have been all right because it was an accident. Yeah. Yes. So there's a disparity there in the care that you receive post-injury. Yeah. Um, is that if it's acquired, uh, like a tumour, a, a stroke or anything like that, uh, there are supports like with the Stroke Foundation and that, but really you do not get the input. You don't get the physios. You don't get the social workers. You don't get any other services of the type that ACC can provide. So that causes a disparity. I didn't expect this conversation to get so depressing so quickly, but hey, good on us for efficiency. Um, but it's, it's, it's something, it's been out there, it's a world we live in and we're constantly fighting. We are hoping now that there's a Ministry of Disability um, to get a better, um, hopefully some better funding because we were always the uh, poor stepchild of the Ministry of Health who saw disability as not being something very high priority for them. Um, and so we're hoping with the new Ministry of Disability to actually have better access, some improved funding and more focused work around just dealing with disability um, rather than seeing it as secondary to um, health. Something with your case too. There is another disparity that occurs and that's A&E. Um, if you've been in a major road accident of which most probably you had a head injury as you hit a power pole at 100 kilometres per hour. But you've got other life-threatening things, you know, like um, a punctured lung and stuff like that. 
when you go into A&E, that's their focus. Their focus is, is stabilizing you and saving your life. So quite often they don't note a brain injury. And that can cause problems further down the line uh, in terms of getting assistance for the brain injury because ACC say, no, 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 there never was a brain injury because it's not on, it's not on the discharge list from A&E. And it takes a while to, and a lot of investigation to actually prove to them that there was a brain injury so that they will support it. Quick question, and then we're going to get yes. back to that topic because yes. yeah, now I'm 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 feeling a little bit fired up. Getting back to the creation of the new ministry, um, what conversations have you already had with ministry or with Minister Williams? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, last email we got from them was um, they're still trying to figure out the name for the ministry and employ the staff. What would you say um, to Minister Williams right now? Two things that we would like. One is um, start sort of recognising disability very different from health and seeing that. The other one is um, really, and this is one of the roles of the minister in a ministry, is get out there to treasury and fight. You know, the funding needs to be there. Um, the government is used to doing things uh, on the smell of an oil. Well, we're used to doing things on the smell of an oily rag. Um, if there's going to be appropriate funding, the minister needs to be in there at the treasury um, getting a good slice of a cake. Okay. Health will always get the bigger cake, bigger mm. slice anyway. Heading back to the issues with A&E, perhaps I'm a bit biased. Mm -hmm. No, I am biased. Yeah, yeah. that's a better yes. phrasing sentence. Yeah. sentence. If medical staff aren't noting this and leading to lapses, doesn't that smell close to a lack of education or training? Yeah. I mean, they're in there saving your life. That's mm. what they're looking at in, in A&E. And it, the problem starts before A&E. &E. It's, it's a real issue. Okay, you have an accident. Yeah. First thing is that the ambulance do the ACC form. Because if they don't do that ACC form at the beginning, before they put you in that ambulance, they can't charge ACC for the ambulance truck. So if the ambulance paramedics haven't noted down that as part of your list of injuries, you had a mm. head injury, then when that goes to A&E, because the ambulance driver rips a sheet of paper off a, I think it's about four um, page document. They rip their bit off, then A&E get it. A&E don't have the ability to add things onto it. So if the ambulance driver hasn't noticed it in the first place, A&E can't put it, can't, can't change it. And they're already in a rush, aren't they? Because they're, they're already to in a rush, it. yeah, and they may not have noted it. A&E mm. uh, &E keep a copy of it, then they give the third copy to the patient. Yeah, a little green and piece the of paper. the fourth copy goes to ACC. I'll let you continue, but then I'm going to ask how we fix it. Oh, well, yes. Well, I was uh, the chair of <laughs> Sorry, a working party up at the DHB looking at ACC and um, sort of streamlining the processes in the DHB and making them uh, sort of um, 
function better with ACC. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that the working party uh, looked at. And we had ACC representation on the working party. Our suggestion, add one more page. Add one more page that allowed A&E to add things into it. Um, but uh, ACC rejected that idea. Why would they do that? Well, most probably because the more to print the documents again with an extra page on it. I don't know. They they just uh, oh, they just said no. So, it, 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 but what happens generally is that later on the person uh, uh, comes to their GP. GP picks up that there's something going wrong there. They're not remembering things. They're not concentrating. And it's rather obvious for the you know any high speed event or, or anything like that where the the uh, brain is involved that the likelihood is that there is a, an injury occurrence, and so they will then contact ACC and ACC will send the person off for assessment. And if the assessment shows that it, there was one, then they will allow it to be part of the claim. I was thinking about sporting, especially with rugby. And how has rugby evolved its understanding of concussions and brain injuries in recent years? They tend to not talk about brain injury. They see that as quite a negative thing. Um, They tend to talk in the world of concussion. Um, And yes, uh, I mean, it's a vast improvement, the uh, blue card system. Uh, the time off the field for monitoring and concussion and stand down period, that three month stand down period that a person may get if they've had a concussion is, is, is massive, really is. Um, the problem with the brain injury is that usually within uh, three to six months of having the original brain injury, there's usually a second one there occurs. Uh, usually it's got something to do with uh, slowed reaction times and again not getting your head out of the way so it's really important that if someone on a playing field has sustained a concussion that they do get that stand down period that allows the brain to do a bit of repair work and get better um, before they go rushing in again and, and get another head knock. But that, 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 that has been, the work that the rugby union have been doing has is, is been great. Back in June, um, yeah. and I've got the page in front of me, um, that's uh, schools uh, standardising their systems around concussions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, which is a major thing, because we do see a lot of school kids with sporting mm. injuries. Um, unfortunately, we see a lot of young kids with assaults it's a very important time because in a way the good side of it is that a young child has a growing developing brain has a bit more plasticity and can relearn because that's what the stage the brain is at with them but the brain injury can also be disruptive to their um, ability to learn the modes at which they use to learn Uh, for instance you know if your visual memory is affected you know, you cannot see things in your head. So everything has to be a, a verbal memory. Um, I had one patient who was a trainee doctor and she lost her uh, visual memory. So she could not see a skeleton. She could not see the anatomy of the body. For her, she had to say the kidney is uh, to the left of and behind, this is there, and had to turn it all into a verbal thing. 
but that, that's um, working with schools, working with teachers to, to teach them different ways of actually teaching the uh, person with the brain injury so that they've got the best chance of learning. But also what we see more in children with a brain injury that disrupts the learning is uh, behavioral problems. Um, and that, that takes some specialist input uh, with the schools to, to do that. But certainly, um, yeah, sporting injuries in young children are, are, are quite common. They're the ones that most probably will get up from a concussion and maybe be sidelined for five minutes and then go back on the field again. Uh, whereas if uh, you're at a professional level of sport, um, you, are, you are taken away under the stadium, have some questions asked of you, and if you fail to answer those questions, then you're stood down. Thanks, Ian. I found this one really interesting, as I've obviously got a very biased perspective and appreciated getting another outlook on it. If you want to learn more about Brain Injury New Zealand, they have a website and phone number, 0800 272 466, and I'll pop those details up in the show notes. There are a couple mentions I, well, I guess need to mention. The first is to Liz and the helpful paramedics of Wellington Free Ambulance, who scraped me off the pavement. You guys are awesome. The other is Flamingo, whose scooter I was scooting on that morning. They were generous checking in on me, and honestly surprised me, as after all it was my fault for the accident. Now one thing that saved my bacon was that I was wearing my hard hat from work. But take it from me, a smart person would wear a proper helmet. In fact, if you go to the Flamingo website, you can get one for free. Seriously, I make jokes, but if you scoot without a helmet, you're playing with fire and it's just not worth it. (sighs) Heaps of this episode has been like me, heavy and depressing. So let's end on a positive note. My brain is healing, which is awesome, but I wanted to know how things will continue to improve, and more broadly with our understanding. So I'll leave you with Ian now, but in the meantime, thanks for listening, cheers, haerera. Basically, a brain injury is repairing to the day you die. Uh, we're learning more and more about the brain, you know, uh, there was once a thought that what brain cells you had by the time you were 19 were it, and then it was just a depletion of brain cells from then on, we now know from research done in the uh, 90s and uh, late 80s that the brain has more plasticity than that and actually can regenerate new neurons and that and rebuild networks and and cognitive processes um, back again. There's a lot of research and work that's gone into um, things to do at the initial stage following the injury, like uh, uh, chilling the brain down Um, to stop swelling, um, putting people into induced comas for a while um, to allow the brain to recuperate. So there's a lot of work doing that's um, making outcomes a bit more positive for people in terms of that early intervention. But there's also a good understanding of therapies to help uh, improve cognitive processing. And a lot of stuff that our brain does, it doesn't have to do. Um, you can you can externalize things. If you have a memory problem, use a diary. Use use you know. There's all sorts of ways that you can externalize 
the brain's function. And in fact, some of those external processes make you a much better thinker than you may have thought you were before you were injured. Everyone thinks they have a lovely, perfect memory. No one has a perfect memory. Memory is very fallible. That's why within the brain uh, injury, memory seems to be one of the ones that gets hit on concentration especially. So they're always improving, but there's also with good therapy now, um, some of those things can be helped to develop quicker. You learn the process once, you can learn it again. 